0: Today I've been talking to Gail Swift and she shared something so honest and raw. She was talking about uh, a suicide attempt when she was 15, which although it failed, it certainly wasn't planned to be that way. And then she found herself having exactly the same situation with her teenage son. She spoke so eloquently about something so difficult and she shares how they all got through it together. I hope you enjoy this one. Hi, Gail. Hello. Uh, thanks for joining me today. I am glad
1: to be here, Marie.
0: Thank you. Uh, so, give us a quick summary of you. Tell us where you live. Tell us about your family. Tell us what you get up to.
1: Yeah, I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. We've been here for about, it'll be five years in a couple of weeks. I have a husband of 24 years, Dan Swift, and then I have two boys. Noah is 16 and Tyler is 14. Hmm. And I'm also kind of excited because I'm just embarking on a second set. Actually, I'm embarking on training I am going to Everest Base Camp this November, and so my six-month training mark was a couple days ago, and I am starting to climb and get into shape for that journey.
0: Fantastic. What What's the reason for going to Everest Base Camp?
1: I'm going with an organization called We International, and I've been to the Philippines with them. I have been to Uganda with them, and they are their sole reason for existence is to eradicate human trafficking and gender-based violence. Mm. So the reason for going to Nepal, not only to go to Everest base camp, but we're doing it to raise money for a house in Uganda that I have been to and checked out. So we want to buy and purchase the house for girls to go to coming out of sex trafficking. So they have a year in this house of triage and learning how to do a craft to get on their feet again <clears throat> without without being trafficked. The same thing is going to happen in Nepal. So we're going to check out a couple of properties to buy them to help the girls come out of slavery. So that's the reason for the trip.
0: Wow, that's really commendable. Um, well, an amazing charity and a commendable act that you're doing to, to raise many. I think there's probably a podcast there for you and I so it's really interesting the link you know thinking about those young women who are struggling with um, the things that are happening in their world sex trafficking human trafficking you know these terrible atrocities that are happening and I know that your experience as a teenager was challenging too right
1: Yes. Yes, it was. Um, Not, I mean, yeah. Um, Yes. My experience as a teenager, especially when I was 15 and Mm -hmm. is this what you're, is this kind of what you're, you're, okay. So when I was 15, my parents got divorced and for a long time, I work with co-nation. I work with how people work when free to be themselves. And I don't, I didn't know how I worked, but I was told by my teachers and family that the way that I was, was like random and I couldn't sit still and I couldn't focus and all these couldn'ts. And so I grew up believing that that wasn't right, that the way that I was, wasn't right. And I wasn't the cool kid. I was kind of off a little off to the side and I was an observer because I had spent a lifetime when I felt like looking like a fool. So I kind of stopped talking and just shut down. And one day I looked at all the cool people in high school and I happened to be away for the summer. And I thought, what a great opportunity to try on this new cool Gale, this new cool persona, because everyone seems to like people with these characteristics. So Marie, I literally became something that I wasn't I went against my natural grain and decided to try and be the cool kid and my gosh that does not work it it just doesn't work as if it could get any worse it did it did and I was at a place where my family was gone I was working there for three weeks And it was the second week and it was a Friday night and there was a ski show at this particular lodge on Friday night. And I was on the bottom of a pyramid and I fell not too far out into the lake and I didn't get a lot of that'll be okay. I got made fun of for that. I got teased. I got ridiculed, which was kind of the frosting on the cake that I needed to push me over the edge. And so, what happened was during the ski show, everyone was down watching the skiers. And I went up to where I was staying and I looked at my watch and I just set the timer to my life and said, okay, I can wait five more minutes for the pan. I can wait five more minutes. And I had waited, I think, 15 minutes. And then I was going by minute, like minute by minute. And when that got too long, I opened up my bottle of Halidol and I took 60, 60 pills and I counted them out. that's why I know I took 60 and I fell asleep for like three days. And then I woke up and I was sent back to my home and I went in to see the doctor who had prescribed this medication to me. And he said, I am, I'm surprised you're here, Gail, because you took four times lethal amount of medicine. And I'm so surprised that you're here and I'm here to tell my story today.
0: Mm, Yeah. Right. Did you, um, was it a very final act? You know, you taking four times, did you realize how many you're taking and what did you take that many with the goal to not regain consciousness?
1: I did. I took the goal to not regain consciousness. I took the goal to end the pain to not be alive anymore. Um, I had done this attempted, I guess you could say probably three or four times before this. I did not know how many, I don't know. I didn't know there was a lethal amount. I didn't know that at the time I had no idea. I did not know. Um, but yes, I did not, I did not want to be around anymore flat out. And I, yeah, I had an experience while I was out that maybe we could talk about another time, but I very clearly wanted to be gone. Yes.
0: Mm. And, and how long do you think that was brewing for you? You said that you were living this lie, you know, you were, you were trying to force yourself to be somebody that you weren't. And can you have any sense of how long, that was building up to the point where you were thinking about ending your life because you must've collected that amount of medication. I suppose you couldn't, would, would you have been prescribed that in one go? Or would you have, you know, saved up a number to have that much medication?
1: No, that was, <clears throat> that was the bottle I was given. Oh, okay. For the amount of time that I was going to be gone. Oh, okay. And I obviously was supposed to take, I think two a day. Oh. Um, maybe one in the morning and one at night. And so that was to last me for the month, something like that. Yeah. So what and happened? Yeah, go ahead.
0: What happened when you regained consciousness three days later then? You know, what was the response? What was your response? You know, how did that feel? What about the response from your family? You know, what what happened as a result of that?
1: I was embarrassed. When I woke up, I looked at myself in the mirror and I had black and blue eyes. Like, he, like it looked like someone hit me. And I remember there was one phone that all the or all the staff could use. And I remember I wanted to call my parents. Someone was on the phone and they were kind of giving me a hard time about needing to wait in line and she can wait her turn no matter what just happened. And this one guy is like, let her use the phone. And he stuck up for me. And so I was able to call and check in and I got home. It was a flight I took and I had a huge headache, like a huge debilitating headache Uh on the way home. And my dad didn't, he didn't say a word to anybody about what happened because it was kind of a bad thing. So he didn't say a word and I was put into therapy group therapy for a year. And I remember in group therapy, I was with a bunch of kids who had had super tough childhood, like super tough upbringing, nothing like me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm nothing. Like I have nothing wrong compared to these kids. I have nothing to complain about. And so I just didn't talk. And I remember the therapist, he said to me, Hey, Gail, um, we're just not going to say anything until you talk. So the group of us are going to be in silence until you open up because you thinking that you don't have anything to contribute, that's pride. And he called BS on me. Mm. And so we waited and the kids are getting really irritated and agitated. So after about 20 minutes, I started opening up and believing that I guess my problems, they were, le- they're legit. Like they're legit. They're, They're worth talking about, but it took me a while to get there, Marie. It wasn't like I qualified in my opinion that my problems were as bad as all these other people. I judged myself Mm. and therefore didn't open up. And that was wrong. That was wrong for sure. Um, And that was a year. I was in there for a year. And so I realized If it's a problem for me, it's a problem. (laughs) No matter what comparison looks like with other people, if it's a journey for me, then get off my ego and take the journey, Gail. Like you're worth this, you're worth it.
0: Mm, There's, you know, a message that I give um, my young clients, you know, is, is being kind to ourselves. And to stop beating ourselves up because we are our harshest critic, aren't we? You know, so often we are the ones who are really berating ourselves for how we are. (laughs) And when we step out of our own way, life often seems a little bit easier.
1: Mm, That's so true. That's a good thing to say. Yes. True.
0: I just want to ask you, um, when I was talking to you before, I did ask you this question before. Um, how was your health after taking that much medication and, and, how, and how is it now? Do you still hmm. have any, any repercussions of taking such a big overdose?
1: About four years ago, I was at my chiropractor, who's a really good friend of mine, and she was pushing around in my stomach. And she said, what did you do to your liver when you were young? Hmm. She said she felt... She felt the effects of the overdose mm. years and years later. So my liver is taxed mm. still to this day. I need to. I'm take. I take care of it. Obviously, I'm mindful. And yes, I have. You know, it's it's interesting. Um, that was that medicine I was taking was for Tourette syndrome, which is a neurological disorder I was diagnosed with when I was five. So the very medication that I was on was supposed to calm me down, Uh right? And not make me as crazy as I was. And I overdosed on it. And Uh the very medicine that was used to calm me down, I wanted to be permanently calmed down. And when I went and saw my neurologist and he said, I'm surprised you're alive, he told me how to handle it naturally. So he told me how to calm myself down without using the medication because the Tourette's was still there, but I lost my privilege, he said, to take the medicine. So he taught me, how to handle it naturally. And so now, with my family and myself, that's my first line of defense, right? Is seeing how I can handle it naturally without drugs. And I said to him, Why didn't you tell me that? Why didn't I'm you tell so me funny. that before? <laughs> like, yeah. I was 17 now. I'm like, Why didn't you say that before? I just found that interesting.
0: Yeah. And that, that leads me you know into asking you how you pulled through with your life because you have pulled through. Here you are, you're a mother, you have two teenage sons, you know you have a uh, you know a healthy, successful marriage, you're involved in really important charity work. you've got your own business. So what did your life look like from then up to the point of you having your own sons?
1: that therapy, that therapy and just some hard learning moments builds character as we all know it is, you know, in hindsight, but I would say <clears throat> I became a little more humble throughout life and just a learner. I continued to want to learn and grow more. And honestly, if it didn't, didn't kill me it I was I kept moving like I just kept moving and kept seeking I kept moving and I kept seeking so that um and then yeah there was a, I quit work I don't know what you want me to talk about but that's a big gap between the overdose and now like I'm I'm a learner and I'm a humble learner that's how I've grown in my opinion yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah I think that um what 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 was the story with your sons did they come easily naturally uh-huh. to you was that was okay. that a difficult journey
1: Yes 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 that was yeah that was extremely difficult so I oh my gosh I had gotten everything I wanted I mean I had the husband of my dreams I had a house I had a great job I 75 pairs of shoes i'd traveled the world like i had all this stuff on my own and then of course i'm like all right now i'm gonna have a baby and gosh you know what marie it just didn't work out that way um Mm -hmm. i was pregnant and i was looking at the phone book for daycare providers because i was making more money than my husband so naturally i thought he would stay home at the time and that was a thursday and by the next week i had miscarried i was only i was pregnant for like a week I'm like, okay, so that seems normal. I think that happens. And a year later, we were pregnant. We were pregnant again, a year. It took a year. Um, mm-hmm. I was on medicine to help. And we heard the um, heartbeat and we went in to see the sex of the baby. And as we went in to see the sex, this was at, I think it was at like 13, 15 weeks, something like that, Six, maybe, yeah, 15, 16 weeks the, um, the nurse put the wand over my belly and she's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go get the doctor. And she, I'm like, why does she need to get the doctor? So my husband was there and she comes back and she said that we didn't hear a heartbeat that we, we didn't hear a heartbeat. So I was like, what? Like I had done, like I had done everything I thought I had, I was, what can I do? What can I do? Well, like not chocolate, not this, not that. Like how much more control can I have to make this happen? I was like squeezing <laughs> it out. You get it. I could tell that you give a smile on your face. I was like, there's gotta be something I can do to make this happen. I am not enough then. Like I've got to try harder. I've got to be more. So another year went by it took a long time. And we were um, going through artificial insemination and we had four, four AIs we could do before we had to go to in vitro. The first three didn't take. And so actually the, the third one, the third one did take. And I was pregnant. I was pregnant again, finally, finally, finally. And we went in and it was the same room and I was by myself. My husband had to work. And it was the same room and the doctor came in and to see if everything was going okay. And this was at 13 weeks, not 16. And he he said that we don't hear a heartbeat again. And I shot up and I just said, I started swearing. I got so <laughs> mad. I was like, what the half? Like, what is going on? Are you serious? Like I have tried, it's been four years of this. And I heard there was a window to my right and the ultrasound machine was to my right. And on the left was a little changing area and it was darker. And for me, it was, it was God who said, hey, Gail, we can, we can go back and forth on this for the next five years, but this baby is mine, not yours. Release it, release the grip. I got you. I really do. I got you. I wasn't used to that, Marie. I wasn't used to anyone having me. Really? You got me? Mm -hmm. Really? You know me. And so I wanted a baby so bad. And I had I was done. And so I remember my hands were so tight. They were white and red. I was gripping and I just released the grip. And I said, Uncle, go for it. It's Mm -hmm. yours. All of it. Just take it. It's all yours. If you want this to happen go ahead and another year later in the fourth final artificial insemination attempt I was pregnant and I stayed pregnant mm, wonderful. and that was Noah who's 16 years old now
0: yeah I love that and actually when you were talking it just struck me how similar your your journey seemed to be from when you were a teenage girl, you were sort of saying, I had to, I had to change the way I was. I had to work harder to be something else. And then when you were pregnant, it's like, I have to work harder to remain control. I have to work harder to make this be a success. And actually in both cases, when you stepped out of your own way, you know, things seemed to come to you with more ease. And, And you talk about, you know, you know, hearing, hearing this voice of, of, of your god you know of god speaking to you is so important to you i love that and and congratulations you got two and, <laughs> I I, know. and i know that that noah has struggled and um so you know with you know with being kind to noah could you share his story and what happened to him and i really i think there's so much we could talk about about, about him
1: Yeah. So I, since I've been through it, I've worked with kids who are thinking about contemplating, trying, attempting suicide. And I have talked with them openly and I've asked them why they haven't done it yet. What are they waiting for? How would they do it? Like very open, no matter what the situation. And I bring light into this, into it. When we moved here, when we moved here, to the different place. And he'd grown up in one place and we moved to a different place. And he was experiencing so much stress and trauma. And it was very, very difficult for him. <clears throat> he had said things about suicide, as I think kids do in school when they're little, because they hear it. I don't even know if they fully understand what it is. They may. I'm not sure. I didn't think he did. So he kind of kept talking about it. And I wasn't sure if it was for attention. Yeah. What kind of age was he now that you, that you're referring to? He started talking about it when he was like, I don't know, he nine or 10, because something Mm. happened at school with a parent, a kid's parent who committed suicide. And he called it the suicide, something with the suicide. So Mm. he was young Mm. and we moved here. And he would be balled up in a corner from like 11 to 2 a.m., like rocking, screaming. What do you want me to do, God? What do you want me to do? I'm like, I'm horribly mad. I'm like frustrated. I'm mad. I can't stand this place. Like turmoil. It, it, was, it, was, it was bad. It was really bad. And then we went home for the holidays. And on the way back, he said in the van that was taking us back to our house after the airport ride, he said, I'm not going to be here anymore. This was in the beginning of January, like January 30,'s He's like, I'm not going to be here anymore. And I didn't believe him again. I was like, okay, you know, you're, ha- you're tired. It's been a long journey. I know you miss your family. And then he said, when we got home, as I was looking through the yellow pages to speak or looking at some pamphlet to speak to kids on suicide in schools, right in my roof under my nose, Under my nose, my own kid was suffering and I did not see it. I did not ask him the questions until he flat out said, I know where the knives are. There's a second story to our house. He's thought about all this. I know where the pills are. I know where the ropes are. And I was like, holy crap. And I instantly asked him why he hasn't done it yet. And he said he was waiting for a friend to visit in February and after that. So we put everything under lock and key. We, we put it all away, everything, everything we could think of. And it was, he was on a first name basis with people on the suicide hotline. He knew their names. He called as often as he wanted and needed. We took him out of school. He went to nurse. he went to appointments. He was in outpatient therapy for two weeks. And then my husband, saw some things in him that led him to believe that Noah was needing attention, that he was crying for help, needing attention. I didn't see it because I was so in the weeds or in the forest. I couldn't see. I was in the trees. I couldn't see. Mm. And so he said, Gail, I just saw something happen. And he, he gave a couple of examples and he's like, I'm calling BS on what he's doing. Because he's putting us, like, this has been months. This happened, started in January. His friend came, everything was still around. He was going to the doctor and this was May. So it had been almost, it was five, six months of this. God gave him to me in the first place. He's a miracle baby. So before his therapy appointment one day, I told him that. I said, we waited five years for you, five years and if you, if you don't believe you're worth being here, that your life is worth living, that's something you need to talk about with God, because we can't do anything to keep you alive. We can't keep you alive. You need to keep yourself alive. And he said, my gosh, mom, you sound so flippant about it. I said, really? Yeah. <laughs> because we haven't been flippant about it for the last six months, buddy. Um, and we won't, we love you and we care about you and we will continue to fight for you, but you need to fight for you more. Yeah. So we went into his therapy session and about 20 minutes later, she called me in and asked how things were going. And I said, actually, he is communicating more and this is happening and he, the progress steps that she was looking for. And she's like, that's what I hear. I don't think I need to see you guys again for a while. And he hasn't mentioned a word about it we've continued in communication and being there regardless not trying to change the bad moments loving him through it hearing him believing him and trusting him that's what it's been like since
0: yeah oh. and how how does that fit in with your own experience leading up to your own attempted suicide were you able to call on that for what you wanted to hear or needed to hear or didn't even know that you needed to hear? Was was your experience in any way part of dealing with your son? Because I can't imagine anything more horrific than having that conversation with your own child about them wanting to terminate their life.
1: I've told him that, but he didn't remember. So one day when he was... Very, very upset, early wee hours of the morning, nightmares, screaming. I just said to him, I said, Noah, I know what it's like to set the timer to your life. I've been there. I've been where there's pain. I've been wanting to get out of it. I know that. And I, Marie, I brought light into it. I just spoke it. I didn't try and hide it, cover it up, make it something it wasn't. Mm -hmm. I just said, I know. I've been there. You're worth it. And I didn't believe in God as a kid. I didn't have that relationship. And I didn't have, my parents were amazing, but I definitely am the one to bring it into light. And so when I brought it out into the open, then we could deal with it. And it wasn't as, it was still scary, but it wasn't dark. It wasn't like a secret. It was something that was important to get through together, not hide and be ashamed of. That was the biggest difference for me.
0: Yeah. And that was the turning point when he went into his therapist and she could see the difference almost immediately. Mm -hmm. Wow. What a lovely, what a lovely, (laughs) what a lovely point that, that your faith, your faith as a family, because when you were telling me the story, I was thinking, how is his faith helping him when he was rocking back and forth earlier it sounded to me like the that, that faith was a confusion but then yep, but then yep. your ability to reach out to him through your own belief system that sounds mm-hmm. like the, the trigger oh it's a lovely story so where are you all now as a family and as four individuals you know how are you how's your how's um uh tyler your other son
1: that was a pro i i I made a big mistake with that, Marie. I never let his people, like his school, his teachers know what was going on in the household because I forgot. I actually forgot. I didn't think to let people know. And he was struggling. He was struggling, and his teachers called and they're like, Is something going on at home? And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I'm so sorry. I said, please forgive me. Yes. This has been happening since January. They know who Noah is. And I told them and they're like, oh my gosh. Anyway, that he was affected too. He was affected too. And I should have let people know I should have talked to him. But today, honestly, we, we love hanging out together. We have a great time together and. I love the, these years um, that they're in right now. We enjoy each other's company. We, I, I've taught my kids, my husband and I have taught my kids to solve problems for themselves, to watch them in the struggle, not do it for them. So they've gained confidence over the years with things. And Noah's, one of Noah's friends was going through a hard time like Noah and even though Noah didn't know what to say, he invited him in and just sat with him and listened, right? As a, as what a great friend he's like, mom, I didn't feel comfortable. I'm like, that's okay. You're in his space. You're allowing him to share. Like, that's fantastic. And so that's, that's where we are as a family Right now, and it's continuing to it just evolves, but we enjoy each other's company and we love supporting and encouraging wherever we are.
0: Oh, I can see that. Oh, that's so lovely. Um, it's really interesting what, what you just said because you know, my my background is in education, and I would just really love to say to anybody who listens to this: it's so natural to try and hold what's happening in in the family, but Schools and colleges knowing what's happening just means that there's even more support and they're not making assumptions or second guessing getting it wrong. And so, yes, yeah, that's great that, that the school reached out to you. It's great that they spotted it, they mm-hmm. needed to reach out to you. Oh, so we need to wrap this up. Unfortunately, I really could talk to you for ages. <laughs> so, what would be your message? to um, anybody who's out there, who's maybe experienced um, a close shave with suicide themselves or with a family member or their children, you know, what what would be your message to them?
1: That's a really big ask. (laughs) That's a really big ask. If there were families and they were dealing with this too, and i know of families that are dealing with this and i call and check up on them and i remind them to be kind to themselves and to love love through it to love through it as best you can right when you're in it you think and believe it's the end of the world you i had a mindset like this was it this is my life this isn't going anywhere and coming out of it, I wish I could see that it was temporary and how long it was going to last. Mm. And with some kids, it is. And with some kids, it isn't.
0: Mm.
1: But they have the power. They are way stronger than, than they believe at the time.
0: Mm.
1: I would just say, love yourself and love others well, right where they are.
0: That's, that's a really important message. We are way stronger than we think we are at times that's so true so true so if anybody wanted to find out more about you or if anybody wanted to make contact with you you know where would you guide them and also it would be really nice um in i'll put anything that you your email and your web your web address i'll put in the show notes but also um the charity work that you do it's um we international.org. Yeah. Yes. And yes. so I'll put that in the show notes if anybody wants to have a look at the work that you guys yes. are doing. So yes. how could
1: people get in contact with you? I would say the best way is my email, and that is Gail at plans com.
0: Great. And your web address is
1: plans to prosper coaching.com.
0: Brilliant. So I'll put those in the show notes. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. I think um your story is, is, there's so much hope in there and, and raw honesty and truth. And, um, and I really value the time that you've given us.
1: Thank you, Marie. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Precarious Parenting by Realization Works. Subscribe to realizationworks.com to access more resources, including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people.